Have you ever read a good book that you want to share with your friends? Well, that's what we do here. Welcome to the Bruz Bookshelf with your host, Lennon Givens, Dr. Harvey Hinton III, Donovan Snipe, and my wife, Dr. Teresa Givens, where we let the content of the book drive the discussion. This week, we're going to be reviewing You Are Your Best Thing by Tarana Burt and Renee Brown. Enjoy. I chose this book because I was trying to find something to read. Um, it was written by Toronto Burt, Renee Brown. I said, hey, something interesting, different. So, yeah. Dad, did you see the title or did you see the book cover first? Like, what got your attention? The title. Then the cover. And I didn't pay much attention to the cover. I just saw some black people on the cover and I saw Toronto Burt. Did you know her? Is your first time reading her? No, but I know her from the Me Too movement. Oh shit! <laughs> I think I think the Me Too movement <laughs> is the genesis of this whole of calling out and changing things that were acceptable but not right, and the culture shift of us calling people out on their BS, which is kind of the birth of. Council culture. Ooh. Yes. And this book. Ooh. This Genesis? Book, mm, uh, I don't know. Genesis. After start reading this book, at first, Harvey, you know, when we started reading this book, I was like, I don't know, man. This book is a collection of essays. I don't know if it's going to work well with our podcast. But as I read it, I enjoyed it more and more and more. So, um, yeah, man, I'm excited about this book. And I was thrown off because these bodies on each other, you know, I don't know if these men or women, they just on each other and they're comfortable with each other. Right. So I didn't know what to expect. Vulnerability, shame, resilience, and the black experience. We're going to review the first five essays and just kind of get into it. So I guess, Harvey, what you think about the book so far? I mean... It's a it's it's a brave conversation, right? You're talking about vulnerability. I think the essays are they're repetitive in theme, obviously, because we're talking about vulnerability and the different experiences that people have had um, overcoming the shame of blackness in the various forms. Um, I'm trying to follow it. I want I don't want to get into the specifics just yet, but I think the conversation is one that's there's well overdue in our community, um, but we got a whole lot more work to do on the conversation. <laughs> this 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 presentation was needed, but it's very, well, it's the voices that have been silenced, if you will. So I'm part of toxic masculinity culture. I'm he-man shit, dog. I bang on shit. I break shit. I cuss. I fuss. I piss outside when, I, when ain't nobody watching, right? And some of these things <laughs> that's being talked about in this book, right? Um, it makes me uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable is good sometimes. Um, it's not a foreign conversation, but we just got some more unpacking to do. Yeah, I got some confessions to make too. Your thoughts, Donovan? I know I kind of pick up back up what he was saying. Uh, it is a conversation, or it's conversations. I think that should be had. So much of of black creativity and happiness is stifled by like shame and the thought of shame and 
what people think about me and all of that. Um, so I think it's I think it's pretty. I think it was a good. So far, so good. I don't know. It's almost like therapy, more or less, or like a call to therapy or a call for a call for for catharsis. Like you know, black people need to learn how to let go and just let shit hang out sometimes. It is. It is just not about race. Black people need to learn to let go. It's about definitely not. Just it's all. It's about cisgender heterosexual people. You know, uh, me, because uh, I think the book was speaking to me. I felt a lot of shame because I was uh, one of those people who, you know, <laughs> who would call you ugly and, and call shame. And, you know, and I, I didn't think much of it. I never stopped to think about it from somebody else's point of view. And this book humanized and it gave voice to the voiceless. You know, again, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. You know, I like like Harvey, I pee outside. I still pee outside. And I'm going to continue to pee outside. <laughs> I'm going to continue to still, you know, you know, thump on stuff. I'm a man. And, you know, just like Boosie said, I'm, I speak for me. You know, you speak for you and I'm and I'm starting to learn you and respect you. But I'm not going to change who I am. Teresa. So as far as this book i was i was contemplating how we would be able to discuss it and how we would be able to bring all the stories together and it was really kind of complex for me to be able to do that because i wasn't able to relate these stories together and i also didn't relate to all of them but some of them resonated with me very well but some of them didn't. I see that the one that Lenny likes is really not one of my favorites. Um, I think for me, life is always about choices. And I think that a lot of bad choices were made. Well, with that said, let's, let's jump into it. Um, the first essay, Between Us, A Reckoning with My Mother, Jason Reynolds. Now, like I said, this book is a collection of essays by authors. And uh, my biggest takeaway from this first one out of the whole story was you could do something to somebody, you feel bad, and you could try to cover it up and you can never address it. But a lot of times it only affects you because the person you wrong have moved on. When he finally came and he apologized to his mother, his mother pretty much told him, look, I've already forgiven you and I've already moved on. And this is for you. So you know? this this, this story about Buddy missing his mama being sick because he was trying to get his, get his new job, get, 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 yeah, get his get his career off the ground. Mm-hmm. I think in this particular story, I don't see it the way you just described it at all. Who? I don't think that his mother ever had an issue with that because right. I, I feel like parents and children have a very special bond, especially a mother and a son. And I feel like she felt like that's where he should be. And 
the relationship that I have with my mother is just like that. She would have been like, whatever happens to me, you need to be able to see your dream come to fruition. And that's what it's all about. So there was no, there was nothing to forgive for her. But for him, I think that there was a certain obligation that he felt to her as his mom. And that's what sons and mothers do. But I also feel like she just wanted to instill in him that family is important, which is what their grandfather always said, but that his job and his dream was way more important than any of that. I mean, I think I think our black experience and what happened during slavery and that whole effort to redefine and reclaim our humanity it's just so convoluted with stuff that got nothing to do with you. And this idea that a kid is supposed to take care of their parents. I know growing up, I thought I, you know, going to the NFL to buy my mama a house. My mama had a house. She did with my daddy. But the idea was that you're supposed to do something for your parent. My daddy was never about that shit. My daddy always told me to take care of yourself. He never, never, ever told me to spend your time taking care of some damn old people. He always told me to take care of myself. So I think it's, you know, to Teresa's point, I think our culture, we we take on stuff that may not be none of our business sometimes. We choose sometimes our own suffering. And that's essentially what he did. It was his guilt talking. It's a good cleansing activity. Absolutely. But it damn sure wasn't his mama forgiving him. His mama was living her life. Yeah, because sometimes... She loved her daddy. Sometimes the prisons that we create are the ones, you know, for ourselves. Like he created that right. that shame himself. Like nobody else is putting on like his mom probably even thought about it. Like you say she's saying like she forgive him, but she probably didn't even have it as a second thought. Cause it's like you said, it's like Teresa was saying, like your parents, you kind of know, you know, that your kids have lives and they have something to accomplish, so you don't ever take that personally when they have to do something separate of yourselves. But of course, you know, that devotion kids have to their parents is like, well, you did all this stuff for me. I got to be there for all your every moment. And then when you're not, then you have that in- internalized guilt. But like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't external, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't as strong or as um, traumatic. I think Donovan, in our community though, we may see examples from other people's families where the mama is really possessive. Like, how many stories have I heard about somebody's mama ruining their lives, being over-possessive, right? A mama not letting me do this, a mama not letting me play this sport. So they, I guess there are experiences in our community where the parent has mentally robbed the child of their childhood and their dreams. And I, I may just have been fortunate enough not to have been in that environment. You know what I mean? So I don't want to downplay the brother. I think the story he's speaking to um, it does speak to the challenges of culture in this modernized world. Will we ever live the legacy of our ancestors if we're always pursuing something that takes us away from their struggle? It's weird, man. I think culturally we are programmed to want to be family and community oriented. So for him, I think it was a natural thing and I've done it myself. Um, I remember when my mother had gallbladder surgery and I drove all night to get there. 
but I didn't stay for the entire search. I just wanted to be there so that she knew I was there because I did have some other things that I had to do. I had children to take care of and other things, but I did need her to understand that I was there. And I think that's that's all you needed at that point. But culturally, we are a type of people who like to be together. We're close-knit and family is everything, just like the grandfather said. Dig it. What was else in this story, Lenny, that got your attention, though? Was it, was it you know, the relationship uh, with his mother or was it, you know... So, I guess what y'all saying is correct. It was really him in his mind and he was carrying this and his mother had already moved on. And Harvey, to your point, my mother the same way. She did not want me to look back and take care of her. So right before she died, my mother tried to suffer in silence because she didn't want that burden on us. She wanted us to go on and live our life and implement the things that she taught us for life. I think we're selfish, bro. I think I think we're selfish people. And that's just the bottom line. And our selfishness shows itself in many aspects of our lives and our relationships to people and how long we want them around and what we want them to be and how we want them to do. That's all part of our selfishness. And so I think, you know, being vulnerable is owning some of that selfishness, right? And owning those, those spaces where you, you had a whole narrative in your head about what this situation was and the other person, they doing something totally different, you know? And, and being able to recognize that I think is probably one of the more important parts of the brother's essay. I'm not going to try to compete with his life story. Right. But just that takeaway point, like, you know, live your life. Um, I think the goal is not to harm others. Like Teresa said, he, he was able to show up and say, mom, I'm here with you. I recognize you going through this, but I got to go. What that yeah. man say, let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> <laughs> but that ain't dead though. I'm preaching. What you talking about? I'm the same thing, but I'm just saying, right? Like, damn. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sick of this shit. <laughs> uh, no, but I think his story. I think that I think the, probably the reason they open with that story is just to um, communicate about how how much of guilt is internal and that internal mm-hmm. dialogue, that internal struggle. Um, cause, cause like that's the, uh, the after effect of, of shame is the, the, the guilt one, one has to suffer. And generally it's a lonely suffering. Like nobody is in your head telling you these things over and over again. I mean, you may have heard it, but you say way more, way more times to yourself than people say it to you. Um, and kind of reinforce it. And then you form all these ideas about how things should be and then start beating yourself up about those things that didn't happen, all these potentials that didn't happen because of some supposed misstep on your part. So I I think that's probably why they open with that, just because like that guilt can be so intense and you can feel like you're so deserving of it. But like, meanwhile, the rest of the world ain't even got that on their mind. They they don't even, it wasn't even an event for them. So, yeah. I agree with you, Donovan. It was a really good essay to open with. It was actually one of my favorites because it didn't have a lot of 
the external baggage that some of the other ones had. So this was one of my favorites. External baggage. Well, that's a new one. I can't wait to <laughs> unpack some external baggage, Lenny. <laughs> hey, guys, I've gotten fat. Why? Because I like to munch on unhealthy snacks. But all that is about to change. Thanks to Power Bites. Power Bites offers a nutritious and healthy alternative to junk foods without all the unhealthy ingredients. Power Bites come in two flavors, almond peanut butter crunch and salt peanut butter crunch. Both of my favorites. More importantly, they're gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. And they're good. Don't believe me? Try for yourself. Pick up a variety pack at eatpowerbites.com. www.eat. P-O-W-E-R-B-I-T-E-S dot com and use the promo code HERTS15 that's H-E-A-R-S-T 15 oh I almost forgot to mention it's black on more of a reason to go to www.E-A-T-P-O-W-E-R-B-I-T-E-S eatpowerbites dot com and order your variety pack enjoy Back to the bros bookshelf. The next one, This Joy I Have by Austin Channing Brown. And she she opens up. I like how she opens up and she sets the stage with uh, her and her husband enjoying horror movies. She describes how a a horror movie starts off and the theme of a horror movie is everything starts off great. You know, the family goes to the lake house and everything is all well. And then, bam, tragedy happens. And she juxtaposed that to life. She used this term called foreboding joy. Basically, uh, foreboding joy, meaning that you really can't enjoy it because you expecting something bad to happen. And you always uh, on alert and waiting for the hook, rather. Let's rewind something that you said earlier, dog. You was talking about how this book was talking to you and these other communities. You named a couple of different communities, right? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. This book is a direct attack and in, in response to white supremacy. And that joy that's being robbed, she's talking about, is white supremacy is doing that shit. It ain't nothing. You can't skirt around. That's what this book is about. White supremacy and the way it mind fucks you. I'm going to have to agree to disagree because I just feel that this concept is very universal to a lot of things, but especially motherhood for me. So Lenny should have been reading that story and going, oh, that's my wife. Oh, that's my wife. Because that's what keeps me safe. That's actually the very concept that I live by that keeps me safe and my children safe. Well, I tell you that all the time because, you know, and I I tell Lenny, one of the stories that I tell Lenny about all the time that I try to keep him on the same program that I'm on is when Noah almost got hit by a car because Lenny lives life very freely. Oh, everything's good. Everything's fine. We're going to do this. We're at Disney World. We're playing in the ocean. We're here. We're there. Yay. And my life is very, uh uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, stop. Go over here. Get over here. Stand behind the line. This is Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. And everybody thinks I'm um, not fun, maybe. 
but I don't care because we're all still alive. And only because of me, because Lenny almost kills everybody. So that is exactly that. I mean, I remember one time when Nicholas and Nakaya were very young, Shanae, who's my oldest daughter, wanted to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. And I sat in a corner the entire time that they were gone, kind of. I wanted to enjoy myself, but I kept thinking about them getting hit by a car or um, somebody kidnapping them at Chuck E. Cheese. But, you know, it is what it is. And it can be about race, but it's also about motherhood. It's also about relationships. It's any anytime you love something and it is outside of yourself and you can't control it, you start to have some type of emotion about it. So this story related to me, and I I started to say, mm, I can't believe that Lenny didn't even say anything about it to me, about that person. But yeah, that's me. Is It could be applied universally. But in the essay, she's particularly talking about a uh, race because she mentioned... Trayvon Martin, and she mentions her husband and her father going out and getting pulled over by a police officer. She's traumatized by Ahmaud Arbery. So, I mean, this whole race thing is really tricky. It's white supremacy. It's not race. Until you understand white supremacy and how it works, everything else will only confuse you. That's nearly fuller. And we got to understand that. We can we can move on to the personal experience. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with Teresa because I understand what she's saying from a parental care. I get that, but the context of the things that we worry about are reflections of white supremacy. You're talking about the system that invites these dangers into our life. I mean, our whole lived experience. It ain't. You know what I mean? It ain't just one thing. It's this capital. It's the our whole lived experience, and we 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 we're working in part of a system. We're not, um, I'm not going to discredit folk, right. And say that everybody's being manipulated and blah, blah, blah. Cause that sounds too harsh. But I think anybody who understands a little bit of psychology knows that's, that's what's happening. I mean, you, <laughs> you're reflecting on your, your culture and your experiences, you know, but not to take away from the joy. Right. Cause, cause my mom would tell me, don't let them steal your joy. And, you know, there is this internal thing that we have to find that says, I'm going to live. And for some, it might look reckless. For some, it looks overconfident. But that just might be joy. Say, I'm not going to, I know racism exists. I know who I am. I know that there are too many threats out here for me to count and be aware of all at once. So I'm about to hop, skip, to do on about my damn business until something happens. Yeah, hey man, and, and, I get it. <laughs> and that's what Teresa was describing when she was saying to me. She said, Lenny lives in the present moment and he just kind of goes about life like Fufu Lala and ignoring all the dangers. Because exactly. I do live in the present moment and I do, I live by don't let anybody steal my joy. Not exactly. Well, what you was about to say. I mean, I was just saying that I don't think that yours is that complex. You just do what you want to do. Because I am living in the present moment. Okay. You don't understand that? I just feel like it's not a thought. 
Exactly. It's present. Mm-hmm. You it's still think in life. the present. Exactly. I don't f- forebode. Yeah, because you don't think. No, I think mm. in the present moment. Okay, so so that we don't get off on this thing that we do, I just want to make sure that we understand that there are moments of joy and you can. And I, I think that you can go there, but there is also that thing that is deep inside you that keeps you safe or that you try to keep safe. And I used to say to Nicholas when he was growing up, you're the biggest and the blackest thing in your classroom. Please make sure that when people look at you, they see what you want them to see. And that was a part of what we teach our children, which of course goes into what you're saying. And everybody said, you know, white children don't have to worry about that. They're not taught to fit into anything. But we want to make sure that we are being cautious. And just as she said in her essay, when her son put the hood on and what she saw with him, you know, we do, we all have those images and we want to make sure that we are living in the moment, but also being cautious at the same time. So I think that's just where we are. And that's where we were that day when we were in the parking lot and you were allowing Noah to just run around and I heard the car coming and I was like, Lenny? And you were like, what? You're overprotective. You're doing... And then what happened? Yeah, so listen, we were uh, in the parking lot at Disney. Lenny grew wings and jumped out and scooped up and and saved him. No, I didn't. Bruh. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I, I, on a serious note, we were in the parking lot at Disney and we were all getting in the car, getting out of the car, getting out, getting the out car, the car, going and into Noah, the park. Noah was at that age. He was like two years old. No care in the world. He got out the car. He started laughing. Teresa was like, Lenny, watch Noah. Lenny, watch Noah. And I'm like, everything is fine. Everything is fine. I said, Lenny, put your hand on Noah. Noah Took off running towards the middle of the parking lot. And there was this Trans Am speeding through the parking lot. And she ran and grabbed Noah just as the car was passing us up. Now, the car couldn't have saw us because it was all these cars in the parking lot. But she saved my son from getting killed. Whose lesson was it to learn? Was it your lesson or Noah's lesson? Or was it the driver's lesson? It, it was, was my lesson. Lenny's lesson. It was absolutely and my lesson. Still hasn't oh, learned shit. a lesson. It was my lesson that you still haven't learned. I mean, can't everybody learned. Get away. you haven't. It's a teachable moment for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Does no remember? No, no, he was two. He was too exactly. young. Exactly. He probably mm-hmm. didn't felt no danger while it was happening. Like, oh, my mama grabbed me. <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh, but that that goes into what I say about there are certain things as a race that you have to learn to keep you safe. And I have forever, and I don't know if this kind of goes into this essay or not, but when I met Lennon, I used to tell him that I always wondered if the restrictions that we put on our people are 
good for us or bad for us? And I say that only because, and, you know, Harvey, you'll say there's so many things that go into that. And you talk about the white supremacy that drives all of this. But we hear no so much in the black community, especially when our children are young. It's no, 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 don't do that. No, no, no. Caucasian don't, children don't hear no. They have the license to do whatever they want to do, and their parents encourage them to be free and the to do whatever, to do whatever. Play. They're free in the street. They allow them to run around in the park. They are just free. And I've always asked that question if the restrictions that we put on our children, if that matters for them or if it actually does keep them safe. Um, so that that's just something that I've always grappled with. And I ask people all the time. I used to have a lot of Caucasian friends. I used to have this conversation with them. But of course, they don't understand it from my perspective. So I'm still having that conversation. We moved to Atlanta. Part of that conversation uh, to, to have it in a different way. So it's an experiment that I've been doing for about 20 years now. And I still don't have an answer. I mean, I think you answered it though. I mean, the least restrictive environment play, all those things are pro-social development. Whereas um, no is stifling development, even though we, 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 we use it as a protective Mm-hmm. mechanism you know what i'm saying but for for many people it only makes them develop a sense of rebellion and resent right and the thing that we're trying to protect them from they still don't know well i think that problem comes because our nose often comes with no explanation other than because i told you so like well, I, mean, I did change that part donovan i am i am very open with uh the children that i'm raising and we all know that all mm-hmm. of the children that I raise are not my biological children, but I have a whole bunch of children in the school system. And I do explain to them why I'm, the, the no's are necessary. And I am explaining to them that I'm trying to keep them safe with the no's. But, you know, as you know, Harvey, you're saying, I still haven't gotten to the the meat of what that is for us. And I always think about the Bush girls, you know, you think about them, you think about all that access they had and everything that they did. And then you think about how they treated the Obama daughters Mm -hmm. and you're like, they were much better kids, but that's not what the picture would be painted. And we still put the restrictions on them that we have not put on the Bush's daughters. How did how did they treat the Obama daughters? Well, they were very restrictive uh, with what they saw. They uh, the the community would right. complain about how they dressed. Yep. They complained about the schools and what they everything about them was an issue. Oh, so and then they, when they when you say they, you wasn't talking about the Bush girls how they treated the Obama daughters. No, no, no. I'm talking about society. society. Okay. Yes, society placed expectations upon the Obama daughters that they did not put on the Bush daughters. That goes back to what Harvey said. Exactly. Why that's and that's why 
we're talking, but not, but past that, I'm saying what those restrictions do and what she was talking about in the essay and that foreboding joy and what we feel and what we teach our children and how to get around that. So trying to bring that that, full circle. Because when you live with that foreboding joy, it it almost makes, um, it kind of makes happiness almost impossible. And I've been the type of person who kind of live with that type of foreboding joy. Like for me, nothing good ever seems like it should last too long. So I'm always looking for something for the bottom to fall out in some way. Um, and I think I've kind of, I guess over the years, I've gotten over that by just realizing that if something bad is going to happen, then it's just going to happen. And that you just kind of have to enjoy the the happy times when you can, because, you know, life is a wave. It goes up and it goes down. But to the essay's point, it seems like it's, we, we get, we get like, uh, I don't know. It seems like the black community gets like, uh, lots of ripples of happiness, but great waves of terror and frustration and pain. So it's, it's, well put, very, Donovan. it's very difficult to kind of balance those two out almost. So poetic, which is crazy. Uh, I coach you to teach us when you think you're on easy street, remember it's two blocks down the street. It's two blocks ahead. So, so to your point, you that, ever reach it? That's the point, right? And it, it was it was we never supposed, did. right. It was supposed to keep you on a drive, keep you keep you moving. That's stress, bro. Like you can't live like you can't live that intense all the time because you just can't. It's not healthy. But you now, have to. We have to learn the balance, but. But because we know we know that it's like that out there. We know that you can't and this society is is very hard to find rest and peace. Right. So you just do. Mm. Dirty business. Uh-oh. The messy affair rejecting sane. Uh oh. Tanya Denise feels. Now uh-oh. This is one of my favorite essays <laughs> because this really humanizes what we've always looked down upon. Mm-hmm. We thought negatively about there was nothing on the surface looking at her to, to say anything positive about. She talks about her weight. She talks about her promiscuity she talks about her looks, her wide nose. Uh, men used to use her as a sex toy. She has six children, four different baby daddies. She was poor. Her uh, children's father been to prison. Nobody married her. She felt shamed of herself. She felt ugly. And she just turned everything around. And when I was listening to her story, I started feeling shame about myself because the very person that she was talking about and the society that made her feel that way, I was a part of that. I was a contributor to that. I used to crack on people when I was in elementary school, but I was also ignorant. I was also uncultured. I was also a unexposed Southern Christian. And if you didn't fall into my 
box, then you were different. You were ugly. You deserved to be shamed. You didn't deserve to live. You were dehumanized. And as I was reading this, and also I was very homophobic. I'm just going to put that out there too. And so as I was reading this, I mean, I'm far removed from this, but this further shed a light on my ignorance and how I looked at the old Lenny in the mirror and how I appreciate how far I came. I love this story. She represented for the downtrodden. She really, really put pen to pad. For the downtrodden, hot and totten Venuses of the world. <laughs> I know this is hilarious because sometimes when we do this, I wonder where I even fit into any of this. <laughs> Especially like, okay, Lenny is going. This is one of his favorites. This is one of his favorite stories, and it's my least favorite so far. Um, Cause you were AKA, she wouldn't have passed the paper bag. <laughs> what you mean? Oh, <laughs> Harvey, Harvey, Harvey. Come on now, you know the rules, girl. What you she mean? She what you mean? <laughs> Some of this is true. Some of this is true. <laughs> okay, so where do I start? Um, let's first say, so Harvey, you don't jump on me. I do understand that. There are situations and there's a system in place that makes us do things that we shouldn't do. I'm not saying that it is her fault. And I'm not saying that she could have done anything different. I'm not judging her or her choices. I just know, just like we talked about in the last novel, that we all have choices. And I would not have made any of those. Um, and you know me. So once I hear your story, I go and I kind of look at you and I say, okay, what you doing right now? So she got a boyfriend. And um, the boyfriend is staying with her and her six kids. So I still have an issue with that. But again, I was raised in the South and I was raised by a grandmother who made us make these choices. And I feel like when you're growing up and you do all these things, because honestly, Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion, guess what? They are rich, right? They are rich. And this is what society has said in capitalism and all of that. We put a lot of a stock into money and what money will do. But we also put a lot of stock in that masculinity that you all were talking about earlier. There is a trap for young ladies to get caught in situations because they want love and they get into something with someone. I think Lenny said something earlier that was, you know, it was probably true, but just it didn't resonate the same the way he said it with me because I think you said they used her body as a toy. I think they said... That's what she said. She said 
a masturbatory um you know, and I can relate to that. Ski, ski, ski. They used to just bust on her. Yeah, like, I mean, that's, I, that's gotta and be to like... a certain extent, all <laughs> women, I believe, have found themselves in situations where the sex was just for the man. So that's why she was like masturbatory because it, was, it wasn't right. a, a mutual thing. And I think your boy said earlier today or somebody, you know, when you're having those types of relationships, if you are not trying to please your partner, then this is only for the male in that instance. And that's no fun for anybody. That's just therapy. And it's not for the female. It's for the male. We've had these conversations. So, that I believe is where she was coming from with that because she knew that it was not love that these men were seeking with her. It was just the pleasure for the male. But at some point, <clears throat> you have to decide, I'm not doing that. I, I got to go to school. Again, I wonder what Mr. my place is when we're having these conversations. I don't even know why I'm here. That's what this is. Think about if she lived, what would her life be had she lived 50 years ago? It'll look something like that. We've seen this before. I ain't. I ain't I'm not discrediting. Oh, yeah. I love. Oh, yeah. I love the way she was able to articulate her experience and bring some Corinne Steffens. She. 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 <laughs> you know. She. She. She took the. She took the ownership of the bad guy. And said, "Now nah, y'all the bad people who who did this to me. I'm not the bad person because I was born like this. Y'all. Y'all mm. put these pounds on me. I was. I was just. I developed quickly." Y'all did this to me. So she she owned it, but at the same time, I think that's the beauty of her writing. Yes, so. she owned it, but did she really own it? Because, all right, so, all right, so at the beginning when I said, I'm the man that pee outside and I'm going to continue to pee outside mm, and I represent me. for the men, you know, <laughs> uh, the little bootsies without without all the other stuff, the that homophobic and I never take my, bootsy. you know, that, yeah, I never take my son to go and get his penis sucked when he's 16. I Why feel Boosie, but I'm not all the way 100% with Boosie. And with Why that being said, what you said, Harvey. I'm going to get his dick sucked. <laughs> he's 16, I'm going to get his dick sucked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. But my point, the, my point I'm making is, Help. like what you said, Harvey, me. you said that they did this to her. Help me. She allowed them to do that to her. This is true. And the power in words. And and so men and women are built different. Mm. Right? And that's why I don't like to, you know, if you're a man, then you're a man. That's why you don't like to what? That's why I like to put people in their their respected categories Mm. and and be treated as such. I fall into the man category. Mm. You know, you got to take the crooks with the straights. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. This conversation is about to go left. (laughs) Whatever. I don't give a shit how y'all take this. But my point is, my point is, my point is, she's very powerful with the pen. Her essay was 
very uh, capturing. You said I, you loved it. I loved her essay, but there's some personal accountability. And she didn't change until she looked at herself and took some personal accountability. And she didn't even change for herself. It took her six children to save her life. She didn't change for herself. She changed for her children. Yeah, I think we all have these moments when we're sitting there and we're like, oh, my God, my kids are looking at me. Whoa, I don't want them to see that. So, yeah, my my six children are looking at me. And you know I what? Know, I know, it, I know, I know someone in a very similar situation. And the difference is that person hasn't been able to kick depression. And you how know, out of I mean, like out of real life, how many people come out of that? Well, out of depression or out of a situation like that? Out of the I mean, situation that she's in. Six kids by four baby dads. Like once that happens, that happens, right? And you're gonna have to. That's your that's your story. But that's a lot of our grandmothers. Our great grandmothers, like, you know what mm. I mean? Like well, they for have real, the same level of depression and self shame. Because I, I got a granddaughter who got a bunch of kids with a bunch of different daddies. That lady didn't take no tea for the for the for the fever. She ain't let nobody run over. I, I guess it kind of depends on the environment, the situation. Because I mean, oh, you could Donovan. choose to be. A, well, I can't. I don't want to say you can choose to be a depressed hoe, but I'm Donovan, saying, what? Is this grandmother you speak of, is she's on your mother's side or your your father's side? Mother's side. Okay. I saw your her sister. Mama. Her sister. I saw your mama. Mm-hmm. Um Henrietta. And if she look anything like your mama or shape anything like your mama. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm sorry for laughing, Doc. <laughs> Why am I here? Why? My fault, Doc. My fault, Doc. My Lord. My fault, Doc. I heard she made good grits, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, put put it this way. Donovan Mama got the body, got the body that the, the, the women go overseas and get a passport to come back with. <laughs> you want the kind of body that you go see Dr. Miami about. And I think Donovan, that's would the- you like for me to slap him? You can do it, but you don't have to do it on camera. Okay. I'll I, wait. Say, I know how his ego works. I think that's the thing that the sister's talking about, though. She, you know, she... Black women, a certain type of black woman, um, is over-sexualized in our society. And, you know, the black of the bear, the sweet of the juice. And that's the game. It's being played. And we need to deal with that. It's fair. You know, it's not cool. I think that's the, I, I, I'm like you, Lenny, in the sense that there there are things about her story that definitely caused me to pause and reflect and try to, um, you know, see where there's areas where I can make atonements with. I know these young ladies, you know, I know sisters just like her. I, I got them in my family. And like I say, man, like, it's not, I think I think we have to look at our relationship with our religion, and what does that mean? I think that to me sometimes is the thing that allows some people to walk with their head up and others to walk with their head down. And like, how do you find God when you are this woman who people are ridiculing you because you got all these kids by these different men? Well, you just read the Bible and then you see how they. You know, those were Jesus's favorite people. Yeah, 
All right, listen. All right. And then there is a story. So that's another essay that talks about religion in this and yeah, the whole. And that, yeah, that's part got, of it. I got to that one as well. But yeah, yeah, this one, this this essay is my least favorite. Some women just don't hold people to the standard that they need to be held to. That's why some women get married and some women don't. And so, because some women don't even have the time for that. And it's, I mean, marriage is not the epitome of life. It's just that everybody has a different thing. And in this particular instance, if you allow, I mean, and I just, Hey, I'm the only woman here, you know, men will do what you allow them to do. Point blank, period. That is absolutely true. And a lot of women don't feel like they can or they might be afraid to hold that man to that standard and say, hey, you know, we've been doing this for a while. And hey, this is this is it. We've we've reached it. And I want something more because they're afraid that a the man may run away or B, he may harm them. C, he could continue to come up with something else. But you know what? He could also D say, you're right. You know, let's take this to another level. But some women are so afraid of that, that they allow the man to do whatever they want to do until it's time that they say, well, I'm done. And they move on to something else. When a woman's fed Go ahead, Harvey. We, we're all yeah. friends here. No, that, was, that wasn't friendly. What I was going to say, right? You know. It's, okay, well, we're all. You mentioned the fear of them leaving or the fear of them actually being violent. You know what I mean? Like that. that that's the other part. Because I, I was. Yeah. That was. That was definitely spot on. I think that's the part about it, and I think it's you know, I, I. Yeah, it's it's a balance. I think how do you how do you get that message that Teresa just spoke to? to a sister who's living in this environment that look guys, I know someone who is more afraid of the commitment of marriage than the commitment of motherhood. Now, when you say motherhood, how many children are you talking? Well, this particular person that I'm talking about has two children. She has two children and we've had discussions and she is afraid of marriage. She's, she talks to me and she says, you know, that's such a big step. And I say to her all the time, motherhood is a really big step. It's way bigger than us. It, I mean, to me, it's bigger than marriage. Because is she turning down when, marriage? Is, does, she, does she have an option or is this just a conversation? The conversation is... Because she is afraid to. That's what I'm asking though. Well, I mean, I don't know if they've asked, but of course she had. You know, she has a father to her children. She actually has two fathers for her children, and she looks at that and says that you know I can commit to that, but I'm not sure about committing to the other. And to me, that's backwards. But again, I'm not the authority on everything. You know, I. I think human behavior is one of the things that I've studied, but 
But it's I, just a hypothetical, though. It ain't. It ain't like somebody showed up. It ain't like Russell Wilson showed up with that check and that bag. No, 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 no. It was just the baby that'll daddy. Change, that'll change your mind, right? When Russell Wilson showed up hey, with that de- <laughs> Definitely. How many other men out here gonna show up want to take care of two kids, right? Hey, but that bag, that bag <laughs> means a whole lot. A whole lot, though. It's, it's, it, it erases. Uh, um, uh, that bag means stability. But past that, past that, past that, I really want you all. I mean, I know you all are men. I know that you're men, and it's it's hard to to grasp. But for me, for a woman to say to me that she is willing to commit to being a mother, but she's afraid to commit to being a wife. That blows my mind. Well, you can always back out of a marriage. You can't back out of motherhood. So, like exactly, which says to me, being a mother is way more involved. It is, but if you're if your marriage you can't divorce work, your kids, you can't. But if your marriage doesn't work, it's a reflection on what all your fears and what you can't seem to get right. Like. Mm. And you, you can only trace that back to your behaviors. Whereas, like, if your kids are kind of bad, it's like, well, maybe the daddy's kind of like messed up in the head, or something's going on with the kids. But you're still their mother. You're still you're still doing everything you need to do. So you're always going to remain the mother. But like, as a wife, you have the potential to not be a wife anymore for a myriad of reasons. Um, and one of them could be you. And some people could just be afraid of being that reason that their marriage ends. So I'm not even going to jump into it. It's uh, it's counterintuitive, but you know, mm-hmm. shame. Yeah. I, I want to say this. Har- Harvey mentioned that this book is about white supremacy and how we navigate through white supremacy. Okay. Um, the nuclear family. The nuclear family is set up to work at its optimum level in this system. What's the nuclear family? A uh, man, wife, and two children. 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 Wife yeah. can't work. Wife has to stay home because that's sacrilegious. Right. But but nuclear family in the essence of husband, you know wife, kids. children, mom, dad, children. Right? And a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm going to mute your mic. Hey, Shadow. Um, <laughs> so I really believe in family. If we're going to have children, then the best thing for our children is to see mom and dad work out our differences and half of them and the other half of them get along and it makes them whole. But when you have a child with the mom and dad can't speak to each other, that means half of them is in conflict with themselves. She said, I owe my children a whole person, somebody that's well put together and that will be their legacy. And I thought about that. Every day I'm working on myself. Every day in my marriage, my wife is my editor in chief. And in she chief. always show me where I go wrong, or where I made a mistake, or where I should have put a period, where I put a comma. Every time. Right. And I take that in stride because I I look at that as she's only telling me because she wants me to be a better person. And, and that is correct. And I'm glad that you said that. I'm going to meet your mic. I'm Let so, me finish. I was giving you a compliment. I know, but this ain't the time for you to talk right now. Okay. Okay. Um, and she only says that to make me a better person. 
And me being a better person is a better person for my children that I'm raising. So I don't look at it as criticism other than, I mean, more so that I look at it as a critique. I'm not, I'm not as hard on you as you are to me. Because you have no reason to be. Or maybe that's just not my cup of tea and okay. I'm not cut from that cloth. But you can talk now. All right. Well, number one, let's say this. You can't mute my mic. Um, but second, um, I think that when she is saying that, though, she is recognizing those things that she's done that she should not have done. So it's not as much of a statement as what you're saying as much as for her, she needed to make a change. She had put herself in a position to where her children were able to see her in a subservient role with no benefits. And I think that that's one of the things that we saw on the second day update. It's like a lot of women can be subservient to... It's the morning radio show here in Atlanta with young jock. People call in and they try to get a second date. It's... In the morning right. show. So in this particular moment, the guy was saying that the girl was not, you know, uh, she didn't know how to treat her man like a king. And so in my mind, I was thinking to be treated like a king, you have to treat your woman like a queen. So those things are reciprocal, you know, and, and sometimes people tend to not understand that you get what you give. And in this instance, she was giving to men who were not deserving. And going back to the, what I said earlier about being a wife and, you know, thinking in the mother, if you are willing to give a child into the world on behalf of a man, that man should be committed to you in some type of way. And so I think that's the balance of society or in a relationship to a woman and everything that a woman is able to give, she has to get some type of love and protection from the man that is allowed to grow this flower inside of her. So when all of that is off balance, grow this flower. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing here. We water it, and, and that's better than Superman that hoe. So, <laughs> you know, like, what, what would you like for me to say? Uh, no. So, if that is, but I mean, you know, even with that happening, though, if that is happening and a child comes to fruition from that, then you have to you know, come to grips with what that is. You have to have those conversations. You have to know what is this? Because every child that comes into the world wants to know their story. Absolutely. That That is it. I right think there. That's, the, that's the most important part. That, right? that is the most and, important. Yeah, every and, child and, wants and to know their that, story. I ain't want to get back deep into this shit, but the whole nuclear family system is something, it's still Western world. Like it don't even have to be that. It's about that thing about place in the world and that understanding of place in the world. And you can come to that conclusion in multiple directions. A healthy community will help children get to that point. Right. And uh, And I, and I, I see where you're going with that, Harvey, but where 
Where does yeah. that work? It used to work. I mean, you know, they don't teach us about that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it, works, it works in a lot of places, you know, because the irony of it is that like, we started off with a story about a guy beating himself up about not being there for his mama. His mama like, boy, you better live your life. But then we're talking about being our best selves for our kids. Like, this is some never-ending stress shit, you know? And it takes a certain type of person to be like, hey, man, mind your damn business. Again, I'm talking about my dad. It's kind of weird, you know? It's a certain kind of person. It's just like, mind your damn business, live your life. Because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reciprocal stress. It It's good that we make decisions for our children. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's beautiful. Um, and that we that we do our soul searching and find our, our spaces of, of restoration because that's what that's what she's speaking to as well. She found it through her writing, you know, mm-hmm. and and that was that was awesome. And you know, right I, again, like you talking about the ability to take your experience and profitize from it. That is what we have to teach people. And sometimes you gotta. I don't want to go through that much misery to have an awesome story to tell. But hell, right. if she's a millionaire now, fuck all that. You know what I'm is saying? She a I, I bet, I'm why wouldn't she be? Sure. Why wouldn't she be? Like, like well, she I'm, still lives what she was at the time. Man, she didn't hit she a said, lick. She said, I give my money to black women in films. She didn't hit a lick, Especially bro. mothers to do well, what she they was saying. She lived in a small apartment in South the South Bronx. That don't mean nothing. It's I mean, hey, it, I mean, it is what it is. I, I just, yeah, she, she's I, now, I pray for her know? healing to go through all of that. I mean, six children is a lot, and six a children, and that's a lot a to lot. raise. I understand what it's a like to emotions, raise a lot of needs, a lot of children. Um, Three kids ruin your life. That's what I hear. She's <laughs> hey, she listen, she good. She said, "Black women and M's." Did you guys know what films were before? I had to look that up. What? Black women. She said, I give my money to black women in films. F-E-M-M-E-S. Um, I just used my context clues. Right. I had to look that up. I bet you did. Talk of to me. I did. You know what a film is, Harvey? He said, I, talk to me. Yeah, what's a film? What'd you find? What'd you look up? What'd you find? It's a feminine lesbian. Yeah. Yeah, not a bull dagger. No. Okay, we got it. We didn't need you to over explain. No, it matters. Oh, it does. I know, but we didn't. I, I heard you the first time. Feminine people in general. But I'm talking about for the listeners. Everybody's not as smart as you, Teresa. Why would you think that was significant? Because I, I was wondering about that. What is, where, are you, where are you going with that? Because I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and I, I learned this book is it has really tons me of undertones. To a queer life. Subculture it's that I haven't. Undertones. Shut up. Why? Blackness is queer. Because you, Blackness you, got so many layers of queerness, and it's weird. It's not just blackness, it's humans. No, we talking Man. about these are black people stories, though. You can't, yeah, but you can't, I mean, it's just not. It's, it's just not black people, um, written by black relegated people, to black, black people. people. I think I think everybody needs to know the different shades of being a human. Okay. Oh no, 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 that is true. No, I hear you on that point. And right? again, I grew up in the South. But dog, I've questioned: Can the person who dehumanized understand humanity? Yes. If you put it, if you make it palatable and give it to them where they can digest it. And I think that Tanya Fields has done a really good job in doing that in her story. 
making it palatable. Who got time for that? Who got time for that? <laughs> Who job is it to make it palatable, motherfucker? You de- you dehumanize people. I did, I did. I used to be that guy. I'm gonna kick in the nuts. Oh, now so I gotta I- feed this back to you in a in a tempered, measured, palatable way. Boy, fuck you. <laughs> but you, you, gotta, you gotta realize you're undoing culture. Right. We're changing the world. Well, no, because I'm the world that they're changing. They're changing the world. Yeah, because I'm not that way. It's a queer voice Great that we're not that we're right. not used we're to. Talk, this know? book is talking to people like me. I used to be a bully. Really? Because I don't a even think bully. that they thought this was their audience. Say what now? I, say, I mean, I don't even well, think that, that, was, that she thought the they were her audience. That was the one. Well, who, of the I mean, why, why, would, why would you waste your time preaching to the choir? It's not the choir. It's just to. It's a catharsis, but I think that they want to tell their story, but whether you get it or not is not really the issue. Well, it's effective because it's really working on me. It's helping me grow and being a better person. But that's because you was already on this journey. And I, I, I was on this journey and they're really they're taking me by the hand and they're walking me and they're leading they're leading me. As long as you understand that it's my sake for you. Say what now? My grow. Micro? Correct. Okay. Okay. Because you still pee outside. And I'm going to continue to pee outside because it's easier not to get the shit on the rim of the toilet. Duh. (laughs) You got all this land and that little bitty toilet. Whatever. But then you get mad when Shadow pees on the grass. This makes no because sense. Because his pee in the different. morning time, he destroys my grass. Stop it. It's not the same. You're a woman. You don't understand. I do And not. I don't have time to explain it to you. I don't want you. you to. Dude, your dog, the morning pee will, it's too it's much acid and it'll burn your grass. It's, it's nitrogen. Pretty. Whatever. <laughs> Moving on. Why am I here? Kiese, my, my head man. is a part of my body. The other note on crazy. What you think crazy. about that, Hall? Crazy. Crazy. Man, that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy now these days, Kiese. Man, this, crazy. this was a story of, like what you said, Harvey, white supremacy. And no matter how educated you are or how much you try to run from it, he feels that his life is in the hands of white people. His mental health is in the hands of white people. And he feels that white people is responsible for making his mental health slip. That man said he was afraid of white doctors. Health, health, his physical health. Um, as well as his mental health. And a sub note. Correct. But, yeah. Okay, I love this essay because of the language and because it's entertaining and it's sing song and it's relatable. He's a great writer, ain't he? He is a good writer. That's my dog. So, yeah. Um, That's crazy. And that's crazy. Statistically, we have found um, that that is an issue, but more for black women than for black men. Mm-hmm. And 
That's absolutely correct. Serena Williams. Crazy. Uh, she has listen, we don't have to talk birth. about Serena. We could talk about Michelle and Tawana. You know, this is an everyday Crazy. occurrence. Crazy. With, you know, women, especially black women, not Crazy. being heard and Stop. not believing that we know what we're saying. Uh, so many instances when I've, I've gone to the doctor to advocate for my children and the doctor is looking at me like, oh, wow, she's smart. She's educated. Are you a doctor? Are you? And they are not equipped to understand that we understand things. So like, when that happens, they either disregard what we're saying or then we're they're cautious about what we're saying because they don't want the lawsuit and especially in Florida, all of that comes into play. But this is an instance where he is talking about his life. And he also talks about what he does when he goes to the doctor, which was crazy. crazy. Exactly. Crazy. Like who put it on my his, James Baldwin. Yes. You know, his Nina Simone <laughs> James Baldwin. This is how I'm going to talk at the doctor's office. The doctor probably thought he was crazy. And you know what's crazy? <laughs> Boy, he, he he captures the essence of black the the black lexicon oh, or yeah. the uh the, and, the and what we do. Hey check this out. In his book Heavy he always talks about how he thought it was crazy when his mother interact with the police or other people of authority and she tries to over-enunciate her words and use correct grammar. And even as a child, he, he looked at it and he said, that's not going to get them to have mercy <laughs> on you. That ain't going to do nothing but piss them off. Mm. So now him as an adult writing his essay, he talks about how him... And his whole family adopts that same premises. Crazy, crazy, crazy. To talk as if the doctor's going to look at you and say, oh, they're not one of them kind of black people. They're these kind of black people. So we're going to give them extra care to keep them alive because they are worth more. Well, no, you said what's crazy. crazy. No, no. What's crazy is that is the truth. Because we as black people have spent our entire existence navigating the society to know that that is the case. You know, we don't do it on purpose, but we are definitely <laughs> like Nicholas Nakaya tell me all the time. Oh, you putting on your this voice or you put on that voice because when we go somewhere is code switch. Yeah. I mean, but that, but and it's not a purposeful thing and it has nothing to do with intent. It's just living in our society. We know that when we are just hanging out with each other, it's, hey girl, what's up? You so crazy. What's up, girl? But then when you go to work, it's good morning, Felicia. Hi. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Karen. I keep it real. You are a keep it real liar. That's crazy. And that (laughs) is just what we do. And that is how we stay safe, which brings it Mm. back around. And it is also how we navigate through our society to be where we are. So there's no reason why you can't hang out at the White House and hang out at the pole house. There is there's that's how we live. You know what's crazy? She said that's how you stay safe. That's how you stay safe. 
it's crazy that people have so much agency over our bodies. It can, can determine what we can do with ourselves. They can determine whether we live or die in a moment where it's our human right to be able to choose to live and we want to live. Well, when you are in a point of knowing and enlightenment, when you see what you see, you just govern yourself accordingly because there's nothing you can do about it. So if there's nothing you can do about the change, then you just adapt to what it is to stay safe and keep your family intact. Crazy. Speaking of surviving, one of the things that, I mean, one of the reasons why I didn't want to get a gun because I was afraid that the police got behind me and ran my license and my tag came back to my name and my name came back to that I'm a registered concealed weapons license holder. Then they can use that as an excuse to exterminate me. Crazy. Which is crazy. You've seen it happen. Because I've seen it happen and I know that it's a possibility. And I have I have a reason to live. I have children, I have a wife, and What's I have people depend on me. I know people who are darker than you, who are bigger than you, and more southern accent than you, who think the total opposite because of the same thing who really believe that because they have a concealed license, that when the man runs their plates, they get a pass. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, especially from this Fernando Castile. It gives him approval? Right. They, they they know that they just not no regular, ordinary nigga. They can just be messing with. Because all know of these crazy? that we're engaging in are ultimately for white people's approval. Like I don't think oh, we That's what that. it's all about. But it's all about white people's approval and our fear of them being brutal to us. And that's what it's all about. That's like it's unspoken. We don't say that, but we all think Crazy. that the reason we are being treated like this is because of something. Some, some at some point in time, black folks have must have been deemed. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Non-respectable. Um, yeah, non-respectable. Crazy. And so to combat that, that we over or dehuman. That too. Um, but, and then to counter that, we over-index in being human, um, being respectable. Because there was one point in time where you just didn't expect certain behaviors out of Black people. Like, you didn't expect Black folks and that to be loud and wild and boisterous and just all of these things just because, like, Black parents are strict, that you don't do that. And we've, I guess we've kind of gotten away from that in our freedom, but... All of those other behaviors we talked about is because we are afraid of white people not approving us, and we know that that disapproval can lead to oh, poverty, death, um, yeah. children being taken away. It can lead to so many things that is not a reality for other people. So we we have to do that. We have to put on the Baldwin voice and talk yes. to be to be less threatening. Yes. And, and you know what's crazy? And we're not even a threat. You know what's crazy? And the whether we live or die is arbitrary and is is merely based on the officer's mood at the moment. 
And it doesn't matter if we are Baldwin or Tupac. It just depends on how they feel. It doesn't matter if we are abiding by the law or not abiding by the law. It just depends on how they feel. So our life is literally in their hands. That's crazy. That's crazy. What's crazy is it takes a real one for them to recognize and own that shit because the rest of them would try to deny that that's the damn case, which is crazy. Like, you live, this is a crazy ass. It's it's not crazy if you understand. White supremacy is a psychotic, psychopathic behavior pattern. It is some diabolical shit. Crazy. It it truly is crazy. It makes us all crazy. You know, crazy for not thinking you crazy in this world. Right. I, I enjoyed that essay. And I think what I enjoyed the most about that essay, it was the way it was written. Kiese is a very talented writer. Um, every word that he puts on paper counts. And uh, so, keep doing your thing, Kiese. So the convo is about black men and the relationships with the medical field. Okay. And that's crazy. Because he's talking about his fear of white doctors. He, I never thought that I was afraid of white doctors until he said it. Damn, like, <laughs> I got real white doctors. Like, Damn, well, that you definitely—that's an issue because I have oh, searched. Yeah, I've searched yeah. and searched and searched, and I actually found a black doctor that I felt like could listen to me and see me What's as crazy a person. Is what you just said? You listen to what you just said. You searched and searched and searched for a black doctor mm-hmm. who heard you. We searched for black doctors for our daughter, pediatricians, and it was it was difficult to find black medical professionals who heard and listened to us as black people. Mm -hmm. It is. It's it's very hard. And we do have different issues that are presented. And we also have ways that symptoms in our bodies present themselves that are different. And you have to be open and listen and think and actually pull things together because a lot of physicians at this point are just looking at a clinical presentation and then they give you something and that's not even what your issue is. So you're right. So you go home and take some medication and that's not even what you needed. He opened the essay. He said, I don't want to be killed by a white doctor in America. I think I will be killed by a white doctor in America. That's deep, bro. Like, why you, yeah. why you even put that out there, bro? That, that's his opening two sentences why in the you essay. Put that out there? Because it's a that's reality for it's a lot a of people. It wasn't for me. My first doctor was white, so I, I've known white doctors my whole life, so. But I know that's reality for everybody else. And it's not just doctors for his physical health, even though the main idea was his physical health. But he did talk about his mental health. And he said, I think I'm going crazy because of white people and Millsap. You guys kicked me out of school because I checked out a book. I took a book out of the library without checking it out. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, but it's also crazy that you can't really yeah 
understand that you just go and check the book out. It's simple, yeah, right? I know, right? Check the book out, bro. Oh, like, it's also crazy that you have people calling your phone, checking on you, and you don't feel like answering the phone or returning their call. So that's crazy. anyway, it's 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 all that's crazy. Crazy. I mean, he got he got real vulnerable with this, and so you know, I mean. He always get real vulnerable. I mean, but you know, hey, it's it Jackson State is, was right bro. there. He wouldn't have had that problem. They would have let him have it. But Everybody. his mother taught at Jackson State. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. he could have went to Jackson State. That's but my point. You lived in Tallahassee. Listen, the last one, the wisdom of process, Prentice Hempel. What you think about that one? I mean, it was interesting. It wasn't my favorite either. Um, it just the way she talked about her growing through, um, growing up and through, but it also brought back that other image. And I am starting to think about okay, what is the agenda here? That's another story where she talks about growing up and then growing up queer. So Eh, I'm I'm not relating as much, but I am trying to see her story from where she's trying to tell it. And I just see a young girl coming of age with some difficulties. But, you know, I tried to relate because I she was me and where she was bused from her school, uh, from her neighborhood to a white community and she was the only one at that particular time. She did have that one friend, but that one friend lived in the white community. So she was still different from her. But that was, I think, the most that I could relate to that story. Correct. Having to contort yourself to try to fit in when you really don't fit in. When she turned on the lights, the roaches were still there and how she was very ashamed of that. Uh, Trying to be in a space that doesn't belong to you. You might can qualify academically, but you don't have enough social capital to be in some of those spaces. And why do we feel that those spaces are our spaces? I just don't get that, though, because... I just I just don't get that because that is where you gain your strength. That is where you come to compete. That's where you find your seat at the table because you may not be able to be there because of your socioeconomic status at that point, but you can compete because you are academically inclined or academically superior and that's where you find your footing and that's where you find your power. Yeah, but everybody don't come to school to compete. Some people just come to just go. But she was bust, which means that there was something there. But she, she wasn't just normal. I mean, because nobody, the city doesn't waste their money on busing kids to a, another school if there's nothing to gain from that. Understandable, but that's not why she was going. Like, that's not her reason for going. Her reason is just to be a kid. Like she's sent to that school because her parents think it's a better school. She has the aptitude to go to school, so they send her. But all in all, she just wants to be a kid and hang out and have friends. But she can't do that, at least not the same way as her other friends, because her socioeconomic status makes her different and makes her this other that might be deserving of shame. And 
once again, she goes to that internal struggle like everybody else has been going through and is ashamed of a roach that her, her friend don't even notice. So I don't know. I, I see what you're saying. She she has everything she needs to be there. Like, because there's a thing called imposter syndrome. I think black, black folks suffer from like, we're not supposed to be in these spaces for whatever reason. But I think her thing was, I just want to be just a regular person or within the space without having to be all these other things like how black, cause black folks are also the only people that have to be all other black people all the time. Like we're the only people that feel like we got to represent the entire nation at every step of the way. Why people don't do that. Asian folks, maybe their family. Um, but black people always carry the weight of all black people in the world on their shoulders. And do we, well, yes. expectation. No, no, no. Let's, yes, we let's, do. Let's be. Yeah. Let's let's think about that for a second. When one black person does something wrong, we feel like they represent us all. Okay, you're but that's you. That's you thinking well, as a that, whole, collectively, and me thinking we, we that. Feel like you're making okay. us look bad. Think about think about the people who black black feel a collective shame. Like we 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 commonly feel collective shame as opposed to. Well, what oh, about the ones person. who are doing the shaming? Those are the, the ones that try to separate themselves. Are they trying to separate themselves? Well, all right. Listen. Yes. I mean, I'm yes asking, and, no. and you know yes why I'm no. asking. Yeah. Because yes those no. are the ones. For us, we, we, can, we know the difference, right? Uh-huh. But when they, when they come to us, they just see a black face. The bonnet. The bonnet. The dad on bonnet, show. Yeah. They just see a black face. The they, they, don't, they don't understand the difference between a bonnet, saggy pants. Sometimes they so tired, black is black, and all y'all okay, ain't but, shit. So the ones who are doing that. Correct. We can see the difference. I'm talking about as a whole from, from 30,000 feet down. I say mm-hmm. my parents every day, but they take that shit to a whole nother. Like they show they ass. They show they draw. Yeah, they yeah. Under. Yes. Under, under the weight. buttocks. Like, exactly. I don't get that. Like I want my stuff a little loose. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't need to overdo it no more. But yeah, I we don't want leave. you to look like Urkel, but my God, under the butt. That's weird. That's you know, then they get mad at you. Why you looking at my ass for G? Why you, you looking at my ass for G? Exactly. Well, one time I was in the store and I said, Say, man, that's fresh, man. I like how your drawers match your shoes. Ha. <laughs> what was the reaction? <laughs> and I just did that just, just for it. And that's, value. and that's when he should have had on his shock collar. I did a younger like that in the yard one time, and he pulled his pants up. That was his reaction. That's how you had to do him. Damn, son, I thought you was a bitch. Your ass fat. <laughs> <laughs> that is way more effective. <laughs> Damn, son, I like your draws. What kind of what, what kind of draws are those? Ithaca. Um, nah, man. Like, I don't and know, Donovan, man. you're right. That's that would be the answer. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think, I think, I think, Lenny. You know, I like what Teresa said earlier, right? I want to be able to read this book and, unfortunately, be entertained by these narratives. And I don't want to wear the burden of every time I read one, 
I did this to somebody. I don't want to sound like a white man being dismissive of a world that I need to be a better person of either. You know what I mean? But I think it's it's a it's a thin line between listening to a person's experience. It's gonna have shit to do with you. This is you listening to someone share something that is being liberating to them, something that's been holding them back, something that went out their chest, and then having the space to do it, right? To really speak their truth. And if they're true about it, they really don't care how we feel about it anyway. So, yeah. That's dope. Everything, you can always find joy. If you're not foreboding your joy, you can find entertainment and some type of pleasure in even the most tragic form of art. I think think this is, I, I think this is entertaining. It's good. It's enjoyable. It's an atonement for me. In your words. <laughs> but my, my point is, I need this book. There's a lot of people like me that really needs this book. Oh, my we dog haven't even little, gotten to the stories that you need yet. Lil Boosie needs this book. No, Mark Lamont Hill story no, next week. No, ne- we next week, that, Mark dog. Lamont Hill story speaks directly to me. Directly. To me. Directly. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna cover that story capital next D. week. But until then, we're gonna wrap this book up. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Remember to click subscribe, share with your friends, give us a five star rating. Next week we're gonna cover the the next five essays in the book. You are your best thing. Thank you for listening.